Uh, You can go ahead and turn, if you would, this morning to Matthew chapter 6. We're going to be looking at the Lord's Prayer again. When I come home, um, perhaps maybe from working or if I'm away for whatever reason, or maybe other men, you can relate to this. There is not a fragrance that I can think of that's more inviting and wonderful than coming home to the smell of homemade bread, right? That smell of walking into the house and, and the, there's actual, not just store-bought bread, but, but homemade bread being cooked. It's an amazing aroma. It's amazing fragrance, and, and it makes the, the home feel so alive and wonderful. And I'm sure you guys can, can relate to that. Matter of fact, I, I believe this is true, and Mark, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I've heard that realtors actually will tell people when they're trying to sell their house to, to if you know someone's coming to visit to look at the house, to bake a, a, a loaf of bread prior to them coming so the aroma of bread is in the house. Because if they're like me, I mean, you just love that smell. I mean, you, they walk in and go, okay, I'll take it, all right? Okay, I don't care how many bedrooms it has. Oh, that smell. I'll take it. Okay, that, that aroma is so inviting and wonderful of, of bread. I remember when I was a, um, it lived in Ecuador that sometimes my, we had a bakery right around the corner from our house. And my mom would send me occasionally over there to get bread. And we'd go, drive, I would get on my bike and ride around the corner and go get bread for the day. And sometimes I go earlier in the morning and you just, especially early in the morning when they're baking it all for that day, oh, the smell. It was just amazing. And um, she would usually have me get some different, some rolls, and they put them in a big plastic sack there. And, and you had to get home fast with them because they were hot, and they would start, condensation would start building up on the sack. And I more than once snuck at least one of those rolls out on the bike ride home because they were so amazing. And so that, that fragrance of, of homemade bread is, is a wonderful, wonderful thing. When we think about bread, it's, it's one of humanity's oldest foods since the dawn of time when When man began to first work the fields, bread has been a vital staple for human consumption. Bread has oftentimes been used synonymously with the most basic of human needs. So we need sustenance to maintain our physical life. And a lot of times that that sustenance is just boiled down to the word bread. Bread. In the scriptures, the importance of bread is seen over and over and over again. And bread is often used symbolically to represent a variety of different needs for God's people. So this morning, we've just come and we've partaken of bread. Bread that symbolized the broken body of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Bread that reminds us that that He is our spiritual bread. And without Him and His finished work on Calvary, we have no spiritual life. This is our spiritual sustenance, not the physical bread that we partake of. We don't believe that there's anything magical that happens to the bread or the grape juice when we, when we partake of it. But it symbolizes the true bread, which is Jesus Christ himself. His finished work on Calvary, that's what sustains us. Not only saves us, we're saved by grace. We are sustained by God's grace until that day we are with him again, celebrating that marriage supper of the Lamb, feasting with him forever and ever throughout all eternity. Now, with all of that, I want to remind you that today we are in Matthew chapter 6, the Lord's Prayer, and we are coming to the fourth petition. And the fourth petition is, give us this day our daily bread. We're studying the Lord's Prayer as part of our sermon series, Seeing and Savoring Jesus Christ, which I think pretty much everyone here knows that this is a verse-by-verse 
chronological walk through the life of Jesus using all four of the Gospels. We are, in essence, harmonizing the Gospel narratives as we study the life of Jesus. So, by the end of this series, we will have essentially preached verse by verse through all four of the Gospels. So, I think that's pretty neat that by the time we're done with this, and I know some of you are wondering, we're only in Matthew 6, when are we going to be done with this? I really don't know. I don't have any idea, but, but we will eventually one day get through the life of Christ. But I'm enjoying the journey, and I hope you are as well. Now, for the past several weeks, we've been in the Sermon on the Mount, and uh, this is Jesus' famous sermon he delivered for his disciples about how they are to live in the kingdom. Kingdom citizens are to be distinct. They're to demonstrate the traits that are found in the Beatitudes. Kingdom citizens are to be influential. They're to be salt and light in this dark and decaying world. Kingdom citizens are to keep the law of God from a heart, from the heart, because we have been given new hearts when we follow Jesus, because Jesus himself is the fulfillment of the law. And kingdom citizens, because we belong to Jesus, are to pursue holiness. We are to be perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect, is what Jesus calls us to. Now we know in this lifetime we can never attain that, but we are to be progressively looking more like Jesus as we journey down this life that we call the Christian walk. But with a call toward great holiness, as I've mentioned the last few weeks, there's always a temptation to great hypocrisy. And that's why Jesus gives us chapter 6. For in chapter 6, Jesus has been challenging his disciples not to do acts of righteousness in order to be seen by others. So Jesus teaches us that we as kingdom citizens, we're not to give, we're not to fast, And we're not to pray in ways that draw attention to ourselves. And then on the matter of prayer, Jesus decides to expand his teaching beyond just this first bit there in verses um, 5 and 6. And and he extends it with verses 7 and 8 where he shows us that we are not to pray in such a way that we just babble on with empty words. Thinking that we can somehow, by our words, make God do what we want him to do. And then in verses 9 through 15... Jesus gives us the model for praying. He shows us how we are to pray. And this is the section that's become known as the Lord's Prayer. So please stand now as we get ready to read the Lord's Prayer, Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 13. And I actually want us to back up to verse 7. Because verse 7 helps us to understand the context even more today of this specific petition. So we're going to begin at verse 7 and read through verse 13. I want to remind you that this is a model prayer to be carefully followed and not a mantra to be blindly repeated. Matthew chapter 6, verse 7, this is the word of the Lord. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just come to you this morning and Lord, we are reminded of what you taught in Deuteronomy chapter 8, which was repeated by our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And that is that man shall not live by bread alone, 
but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So what we're doing now is more than just a lecture or a speech. What we're doing now is feasting on your word. But Father, that is a scary thing to think about because I don't want to I don't want to dish out your word improperly. So God, I pray that you would guide my lips and my thoughts, keep me from error. And Lord, we don't want to partake of it improperly. So Lord, we pray that you would give us ears to hear, minds to understand, help us to be Bereans, to examine the scriptures for ourselves to make sure these things are so. So that's my prayer for this church this morning at this time. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. As we come to the Lord's Prayer today, we come to a turning point in the prayer itself. The first three petitions that we've already looked at have been solely aimed at God being glorified. But starting with today's petition, the final three are aimed at our needs being met. So I want to recap the structure of the sermon here for us this morning. I'm going to bring up this slide, which just shows you all the petitions. Okay, and I'll refer to that here in a second. But if we remember the structure of the prayer, first of all, this model prayer that Jesus gives us shows us how we are to approach God, and we are to approach God as our Father in heaven. That means we are approaching God confidently because of his intimacy with us. He is our Father. He is our our Papa, our Abba. Now, let me, I went back, I hadn't had a chance recently to go back and listen to some of the previous sermons, but I did this week. And, and I found something in the sermon that I, and whenever I find something that bugs me, I want to I make you guys aware of it. I, and I want you guys to be Bereans as well. And if you find something that bugs you or doesn't seem to be in line with Scripture, you come and you let me know. Because by all means, I don't want to be preaching incorrectly. I want you to let me know if you think that I am. And we'll examine the Scriptures together. But uh, what I had meant to say back a few weeks ago when it came to this uh, Abba, Papa, was actually in the Greek, the word Abba is not there. It's actually pater, which is the, the Greek word for father. But most scholars believe because Jesus would have been speaking Aramaic and because Jesus uses Abba in other places and because Paul uses Abba in multiple places, that Jesus more than likely did say Abba here when he teaches us to pray our Father. Okay? So that's why I said that as confidently as I did a couple of weeks ago. But I meant to point out also that the word itself in the Greek is the Greek word pater, which is Father. But in Aramaic, it is Abba, which would have been what Jesus was saying. So I just wanted to point that in case any of you guys are the original language people and you went back and you were opening up and looking at the Greek and you said, wait, wait a second here. What's Steve talking about? All right. And I want you to be people like that, by the way. I challenge you to to go to the languages and to look at what the scriptures actually say in the original languages. But we remember here that Jesus is speaking Aramaic. He would have been using this word Abba, which means Papa or Daddy, meaning that we are to come to God confidently because of his intimacy with us. But we are also to come to him reverently because of his transcendency over us. He is our Father who is in heaven. He is sovereign. He is transcendent. And then Jesus gives us, after showing us how to approach God in prayer, then Jesus gives us six petitions which are listed here. The first one is that we are to pray for God's person to be magnified. Hallowed be your name. To hallow God's name means to properly recognize God's person as holy and desire that the fame of his name be spread. So that first request naturally flows into the second request, 
We are praying for God's program to be fulfilled. Your kingdom come. When we pray for God's kingdom to come, we are praying for a greater rule of King Jesus in our lives, a greater recognition of King Jesus in this world, and the great return of King Jesus in all his power. But the third petition is that we are praying for God's purposes to be accomplished. This was last week's message, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Of course, I I told you guys I believe that on earth as it is in heaven applies to actually all three of the first requests. But your will be done. We are praying that we and others may actively obey what our Father commands. In other words, we are praying that we will obey the revealed will of God, which is right here in this book. This is the revealed will of God. And secondly, we are praying that we and others may patiently submit to what our Father decrees. And I mentioned that that is the secret will of God. And we can't, we, we, we can't know the secret will of God. It's a secret for a reason. But what we can know, and we're talking about following God's will, we're talking about following this book right here and submitting to the revealed will of God. And that brings us to today's petition, which is the fourth one. We pray for God's provision to be imparted. Give us this day our daily bread. Next week, we will talk about praying for God's pardon to be granted. Forgive us our debts. And then the last week before I go on sabbatical, we will pray for God's protection to be afforded. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So we see the structure here, and we see how the first three petitions are aimed, aimed upward at God. The, they are the requests. Your will, your kingdom, uh, your name. But the final three are aimed at man. They are we requests. So we're shifting from the to we. Give us, forgive us, lead us. Now this in no way means that the second half of the prayer is any less focused on the glory of God. Again, this prayer is radically God-centered. Even when we come to these final three petitions, which have to do with our needs, they come after our focus on God's glory for a reason. For if God's glory is uppermost in our desires, then when it comes to time to pray for our needs, we will pray for them in light of and aligned with our desire for God to receive glory. And so as we begin to focus on this final portion of the Lord's Prayer, we need to see that these three petitions that, that, that pertain to we are wonderfully and extraordinarily exhaustive in their nature. These three requests that deal with our needs are, are exhaustive. They are comprehensive. They cover every area of life. The scope of these requests are deep and comprehensive. For we have all the basic needs of physical sustenance Included in give us bread. And we have all, the, we have the great need, we all have this great need for a clean and clear conscience in order to enjoy unmarred fellowship with God. And that's included in forgive us our debts. And we all need the power to live a life pleasing to God. That is a desperate need we all have. And that's included in this request, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. What's more than than then these things just covering every need, both material and spiritual, great and small, inward and outward, we need to see that these petitions should shape how our prayer life looks. We need to see what type of needs we need to be going to the Lord for. We, need to, we will be praying much more comprehensively if we will pray in line with this model prayer that Jesus gives us, and we'll be praying much more theologically if we pray in line with this model prayer Jesus gives us. And what do I mean by that? Well, I mean this, 
that when we come for physical bread to sustain our bodies, those needs are met from the gentle hand of our Father. And when we come seeking unmarred fellowship with God through the forgiveness of our sins, our debts, those needs are met by the work and the merits of Christ, Jesus, the Son. And when we come to be delivered from and led away from temptation and sin, those needs are met by the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. This is very much a Trinitarian ending to this prayer. There is a Trinitarian flavor to the end of the Lord's Prayer. Now, this first request here, though, this, this prayer to, to, um, um, for God to meet these basic needs, our daily bread, it, it seems very simple on the surface. Matter of fact, it's just six monosyllabic words and one word that has two syllables. Give us this day our daily bread. That's it. Seems so simple. And on the surface, it is very simple. We are praying for God to meet our basic needs, food, sustenance. And we are praying for needs, by the way, not niceties. Needs, not greeds, as D.A. Carson says. Just, we want to aim our prayers, though, at what are the true and most basic needs we really do have. Bread is a metaphor for a lot of different physical needs. And those are all included here in this prayer. But by using the word bread, Jesus is narrowing it down to the most basic thing. He is showing us that our most simple and basic physical needs are to be brought before our Father in heaven. But as simple as this prayer request is, there are some deep implications. So there's four things I want us to see this morning, and these are in your notes. So when we pray to the Father to give us this day our daily bread, we are, number one, renouncing our sinful self-sufficiency. We are renouncing our sinful self-sufficiency. We live in our culture in the midst of an illusion. The illusion we live within is the illusion that we are self-sufficient. As American Christians, we are blinded to our true needs by the abundance of stuff at our fingertips. Feeding this illusion are the massive amounts of food at our disposal. Let me give you an illustration. In the 1950s, I'm going to bring up this picture. Your average supermarket had 4,000 choices in it. There were 4,000 things to choose from in the supermarket. Now, that's a lot of choices. Everything from any kind of boxed cereal to, to fruits and vegetables. In our day and age... There are 45,000 choices to choose from in your average grocery store. 45,000 things to choose from. Now, most of the Jewish people gathered around Jesus on that day were living literally day to day. They didn't know where the next day's food was going to come from. There wasn't a Walmart to go to. There wasn't a Piggly Wiggly. By the way, in my research, I found out Piggly Wiggly was the first grocery store. I didn't know that. 1914. They didn't have a Piggly Wiggly. They wouldn't have gone to a Piggly Wiggly anyway. It would have been called something else, I'm sure. I'm sorry if I offended anybody. Wow. Stick to your notes, Steve. Most of the Jewish people gathered around Jesus on that day were living literally day to day unless... You were in the upper wealthier classes, you would receive a wage. At the end of your day, you would receive a wage that usually was enough money to provide for your basic needs for your family for the following day and nothing more. 
So you would receive a day's wage. It would provide food for that day. And then you go back to work and get another day's wage and provide food for that day. Matter of fact, many people in the, in the world are still operating that way. Here in America, we're not used to operating that way. But most, I would say most people in the world are still operating that way. Even when I lived in Ecuador. Okay, and Ecuador is a, is a, is a modern a developing country. But even there, there would be places where lots of people would gather, usually in a park or in a street corner. There'd be tons of people there. And what they'd be waiting for is for someone to drive up and say, I need a day laborer. And they would say, I'll pay you for this day. And so they would say, oh, I can do it. So someone would jump in their truck and they'd go off and they'd pay them enough money for that day. They would go buy the food for their family, provide for their family that day. Then they'd go back and stand on the street corner the next day. That's the way it was working in Jesus' day. I think, honestly, as Americans, we don't really think about daily bread. We don't think about daily bread. We may think about bread, but not daily bread. Not with the force, at least, that Jesus' original hearers thought about it when he said this. We have food at our disposal, at our fingertips, and it even has preservatives in it. So they can last well beyond today. We don't think about daily bread. We put coins in a machine and out comes food. We walk into a building and choose from a ridiculously long list of options. And then someone brings out a plate with enough food for three people on it that we still manage to consume ourselves. And don't even think about it. We walk into air-conditioned buildings to hunt for our pre-packaged meat and gather our pre-harvested vegetables and fruits. And above all, we can choose from a hundred different machines, a thousand different restaurants, and tens of thousands of different products in the grocery store. No wonder this petition seems so useless to so many of us in America today. I heard a story this week as I was preparing this sermon of a, of a missionary. He was a missionary to villages in Africa, and he came back to the States on furlough. And he brought one of the African nationals with him to travel with him when he came back to the States. And, of course, this African national who only knew the villages there, he was sort of overwhelmed by everything in America. But what he was most overwhelmed with was when he went into a sandwich shop to order food. And they walk into a deli. I don't know, maybe it's like kind of a subway-type place. And as the story goes, this, this African man he, he, who could speak English, he steps up to the front and says, you know, I, I want a sandwich. And they say, what kind of bread? He says, what do you mean, what kind of bread? Just bread. We said, we have seven different choices here. What kind of bread? Well, I'll take that one. Okay, what do you want on it? The guy says, I want meat. What kind of meat? Uh, I don't know, you know, turkey. Okay, great. What kind of turkey? We have oven roasted. We have this turkey and this turkey and this turkey. And he, he picks a turkey. All right, do you want to eat cheese on it? Yeah, that sounds great. What kind of cheese? This poor African guy, oh, what kind of cheeses are? And they put cheese. By the time he gets done, he's exasperated. And he looks at the American missionary that was with him. And he said this, you Americans are cursed with too many choices. And he's right. We're cursed. For in our abundance, we have forgotten that we are in total dependence upon God. Daily. Therefore, we are to pray and we are to ask God to provide And in our abundance, we have also forgotten to pray for God to provide for our brothers and sisters in need. Remember, friends, this is a corporate prayer. Give us this day our daily bread. This is a corporate prayer. And in our abundance, not only have we forgotten that we need daily provision, 
we forget our brothers and sisters who need daily provision. And if I forget about it, because I don't have it on my announcements here, remind me at the end of the service, we need to take a love offering for a specific brother who's in need. So don't let me forget that at the end of the service. You know, we were looking about grocery stores earlier. Do you realize that grocery stores alone throw away 1.3 billion tons of food a year in America? 1.3 billion tons of food are just thrown away. No wonder we forget to ask for our daily bread. Now, I'm not saying all this to make you feel guilty about your eating habits or to encourage you to eat less or to send canned food to Africa. All that is good. But what I want you to do this morning is to see that we are generally blind to the fact that we need to ask for daily bread because of who we are, because of the culture we live in. We are generally blind to the fact that, number one, we are totally dependent upon God for our basic needs. And number two, we are totally dependent upon God every day. We must understand and believe that we are totally dependent upon God. Self-sufficiency that removes God from the equation is sin, friends. We must repent of this sin. One of the writers of some of the Proverbs, a guy by the name of Augur, son of Jake, he was aware of this. He wrote this in Proverbs 30, verse 8. He says, remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. We know where Americans fit in that equation. Who is the Lord? Paul wanted the proud Greeks of Athens to see that God provided for their daily needs as well. In Acts chapter 17, verse 28, quoting one of their poets, Paul says, in him we, ha- we live and move and have our being. Our- we are sustained by God. God's common grace sustains all mankind. And of course, God's special grace purchased through Jesus Christ sustains the believers. Job chapter 12, verse 10 says, in his hand is the life of every living thing and the breath of all mankind. And Jesus wants us to see that we are totally dependent upon God for the most basic needs of our life. Bread, as I've already said earlier, was the basic staple for the people of Jesus' day. Even today, you see that bread is so very important. In many Mediterranean cultures, you may be aware of this probably just from eating foods here in the metro Atlanta area. In many Mediterranean cultures, the bread is more than just something you eat. It's like it's the plate. That you put the food on, then you rip it off, and it's the utensil, and it's the food. It's everything. It's, it's vitally important. And it was vitally important to Jesus' day as well. We need to see that God wants us to bring our basic needs to him. No need is too small for our Father in heaven. Some people say, well, I don't want to bother God with the small things. But friends, that is to miss the point. Our God is bigger than that. He loves to meet the small basic needs of our lives. Everything we have in this life can be reduced down to where we see ultimately it's God's hand in it. My kids used to, Noah particularly, used to ask me questions like, you know, hey, Dad, did God create cars? Because, you know, you're reading in Genesis and God's creating all this stuff. Then he sees something like a car. He's like, well, did God create cars? And I used to always answer, well, yes. Now, some man or some factory or some machine actually put all the pieces together. But you know what? 
all the material that was needed for that comes from God. Did God, did God build that house? No one would ask questions like that. Did God build that house? And I would say, yes. Now, there were construction workers and, and, and construction equipment and different things that were used to actually put it all together. But that wood, no man could make that seed turn into a tree to provide the wood to build the house. So, yes, God built that. I don't have any problem speaking that way. Because I think we should think that way because it drives us back down to where the basics are. And that God ultimately is the provider of all things, including these seats, these pre-manufactured seats that you're sitting in. God is the provider of all things. Can we make seed grow to produce the fruit, to be harvested, to be sold in the supermarket chain, to be put on the shelf, to be bought by us? Can we produce the cotton to grow that is needed to, to sprout up so that it can be used to provide the, 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 the material that produce the clothes that many of you are wearing? Can you keep even that muscle in your chest beating by sheer willpower? No, friends. Jesus asked rhetorically in Matthew chapter 6, which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to the span of his life? In other words, you don't have control over anything. Nothing. Even though you live in an illusion that makes you think you do. And even what we have, friends, we don't really have. Our bank accounts, our houses, our security, our health, are really not under, ultimately, our control. We can affect it, obviously. But it can be gone in an instant. Just ask those who lose all their life savings on Wall Street after one bad day. Just ask the family who this week, their $700,000 home fell into a lake in Texas. I don't know if you saw any of that or not. Just, just start eroding away and the house just falls into the lake. Just ask Job. The Lord gave... And the Lord has taken away, blessed be the name of the Lord. We are totally dependent upon God for everything, even the most basic needs. And we are totally dependent upon God each day. Give us this day our daily bread. Give us today bread sufficient for the day. Now again, if any of you guys are the language people, you'll, you'll realize that the word daily here in this text is a notoriously difficult word for Greek scholars and and, and these commentators and stuff like this. Because the word is only found two places ever, ever used in Greek. And that includes secular literature as well. The only two places it's used is here and in Luke's version of the Lord's Prayer. So it's an extremely rare word. What is this word that, that Matthew and Luke decide to use when they're helping us understand what Jesus is speaking about? And I think daily is a good it's a good, good definition for that word. Now, I do say there was one other place that the word was found, but only half of the word was found. It was found in a housekeeper's manual in a Greek household, more like a grocery list, if you will. But only half the word was found, and that papyrus that it was on has since been lost. But because it was on a housekeeper's list, some people think it, it refers more to quantity necessary than time. In other words, we're not necessarily focused on when God provides this day, this morning, everything we need for the rest of the day, but the quantity. What we're doing when we come and we ask God for our daily bread, we're asking him for sufficient, what we need is what we need to get through the next day. What is sufficient for the day is what we're praying for. What is sufficient to get us through the day. Give us today bread sufficient for the day. So if you're praying in the evening and you're asking God this prayer request, you're praying that God will make it help you make it to the next evening. 
If you're praying in the morning, you're praying that God will help you make it to the next morning. That he'll provide what you need for that day. Jesus wants us to see that not only are we dependent upon God, but each day and each day's provisions are a fresh gift from God. A fresh gift from God. Now I'm going to do a little, little plug here. Okay, he's not here this morning, but um, if any of you guys haven't started getting um, fresh produce from Fresh Harvest, do it. It's great stuff. All right, So we get our, our produce from Fresh Harvest, and it's really cool because on Thursday... You put the old baskets out, and boom, there's new baskets there. And I didn't even, the guy came this past week, I didn't even know he came. And all of a sudden I go out, oh, the baskets are here. And we open it up and pop it open, and there's all this food in there. And for us, it gets us through two weeks. And it's neat, all right, and it's fun. And we got to think about God that way. Every day is a new basket that he's put before us. I don't care how much you have in your savings account. It can be gone like that. If you have it in the morning when you wake up, God put it there, thank him for it, and ask him to keep it there to the next day. That's what this prayer request means. God, keep what I need. Actually, don't keep, ask him to keep what you need there for the next day. He may tell you to give everything but what you need away before the next day. But we are to pray, anticipating, trusting that God will give us what we need for that day and ask him for it. Oh, how easily we forget the manna. In Exodus chapter 16, God sends his people miracle bread. And he sends it to them daily. Why? So that they would trust in him. So that they would rely upon him. So that they would believe his word. So that they would seek him. So that they would remember that they weren't dependent on miracle bread. They were dependent upon God. The Bible doesn't speak too fondly of those who forget this. We read this passage last week, James chapter 4, verse 13. Come now, you who say today or tomorrow will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. You do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. To forget that we are to live day by day dependent upon God is evil. And it's foolish. Remember the parable in Luke chapter 12, verse 6. Jesus told him this. He said, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said to him, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Do you think that perhaps some at least some, I'm not saying all, but do you, you think that perhaps some of the 1.3 billion tons of waste that we as American Christians participate in is a direct result of our foolishness and failure to be rich toward God by meeting the needs of others? You see, when we forget our total and utter dependence upon God and our dependence upon our daily dependence upon God, we become selfish and ungenerous. But if we will see each bit of food that we put into our mouth as a genuine gift from God to sustain us from day to day, 
my friends, we will be more likely to be selfless and generous. This, this prayer for daily bread doesn't just affect you. It affects others. So in this fourth petition, we are renouncing our self-sufficiency, which invariably leads us to the second point, recognizing our God for who he is. Recognizing our God for who he is. Remember the structure here. Why did Jesus take the first half of the prayer to focus our hearts and our minds on who God is and his glorious purposes? Because Jesus knows that if we don't do that first, we will be tempted to ask in the wrong way. If we don't focus on God first, we'll be tempted to ask in the wrong way. We'll treat him like he's our butler in heaven. We come and we demand for God to meet our needs. Surely you'll meet my needs, God. Or we treat him like he's our genie in heaven. We just say the right words and we can use his power to our advantage. Or we treat him like Santa Claus in heaven. As long as I've done more nice things than naughty things, I'm going to get what I ask for. Why does God, why does Jesus, our Lord and Savior, God in the flesh, why does he take us to the glory of God first so that we won't ask a butler and a genie and a Santa Claus, but we'll ask a father who is in heaven for our needs? People wonder why they have such miserable, angry, frustrating prayer lives. It's usually because we approach God in one of those other three ways. If you approach God in one of those other three ways, you'll either become a legalist or you'll become an angry fool. He is our Father in heaven, our Father. We come to God to have our needs met on the basis of a deep and personal relationship. We come to our Papa, our Abba. A God who cares for us more than we could ever imagine. A God who knows our every need. He knows our needs, according to verse 8, before we even know them. And he knows our needs even when we never know them. Matthew chapter 10, verse 29. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father? But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. Our Father is concerned, friends, with the plight of birds in the deepest, darkest, remote places of the, of the globe. Not a single bird hits the ground apart from our Father knowing it and allowing it. Not one bird can die apart from his sovereign permission. This is the God who we are praying to, and he deeply cares for us. And in light of this truth, God, as our Father, expects us to simply ask. Don't demand, don't manipulate, don't hope you have enough, um, done enough good things to make it work out for you. Don't, don't, don't try to magically get something from God. That's all wrong. What do we do with our earthly fathers? We simply ask. Children, when they truly love and are loved by their father, simply ask. I'm sure dads, fathers day here can relate to this. There's been times when your kids have done something. Maybe they tried to manipulate you. Maybe they tried to work one parent against the other parent. I'm sure that's never happened. Why? Because they won't just simply ask what they want. They want to try to make it happen on their own. And what do you tell them? Just ask me what you want. Just ask. My answer might be no, but just ask. Rather have them do that than to try to manipulate. James 4, 2 says, you do not have because you do not ask. 
Matthew 7, 7. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks it will be opened. How can we have such confidence? Well, we have such confidence because we are praying to not a genie, not a Santa Claus. We are praying to our Father in heaven. Therefore, as our Father, he delights to give us what we ask for. Continuing in verse 9 of Matthew 7. Which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? God loves to give. James 1.17, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. Psalm 107.9, for he satisfies the longing soul and the hungry soul he fills with good things. And lest we forget, he is our Father, but he is our Father in heaven. He is transcendent and sovereign, thus he is more than able to answer every prayer request you have. Ephesians 3, verse 20. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. To him be glory. Now there's the key. There's the key right there. I know many of us here are what we're thinking. Well, God hasn't given me all I've asked for. Well, the Bible makes it clear that sometimes God doesn't answer good prayer requests. At least he doesn't answer them with an affirmative. Because it's not within his secret will to grant what we're asking for. But God has better things in store for us. He has a better answer for us. We just can't see it. So that is certainly true. That happens sometimes. But usually our problem with unanswered prayer is the problem James speaks of. James chapter 4, verse 2. Let me back up again and read this. You do not have because you do not ask. And then he goes on in verse 3 of chapter 4. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. So here's the question for us as we bring the sermon sort of in for a landing here and get to these last two points quickly. Are we asking for our needs to be met for God's glory? Yes, even when it comes to something as basic as food and bread. Do we want bread for God's glory? After all, 1 Corinthians 10, 31 says, So whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Are you asking for daily bread so that God can receive glory? And that leads me to our next point. In this petition, we are renouncing our sinful self-sufficiency. We are recognizing our God for who he is. But number three, we are reorienting our desires to align with God's. We are reorienting our desires so that they're lined up with God's. Again, the structure of this prayer is so important. We start with God's glory and then we come to our needs. Only then will our desires be lined up with his desires. But most of us get it the other way around. We don't want to learn from Jesus. We want to come with our laundry list. And then, you know when we, want to th- we really want to get around to glorifying him? It's on the praise request. After he did what we wanted him to do. God, do this, do this, do this. Oh, he's so wonderful because he did all this. Friends, the wonderful part should come first. He's wonderful even if he decides not to answer your prayer request the way you asked for him. Period. 
And so you simply magnify him for who he is. And then you come and you ask your prayer request. Then you have a much greater chance of asking rightly like James tells you to. Our, our desires will be reoriented. We, we are to pray desiring for God's person to be magnified, for his program to be fulfilled, for his purposes to be accomplished. And if those truly are our heartbeat, then when we begin to ask for ourselves, we do so rightly And whatever we ask for ourselves, we ask in order to serve those first three requests. God, meet these needs so that I can glorify you, so that I can spread your kingdom news, so that I can do your will. 1 John 5, 14 says this, And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. This means that our requests are shaped by what? There are two wills that we talked about last week. The revealed will of God, the secret will of God. 1 John 5, 14, when he says, if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. What do you think that's talking about? The secret will of God or the revealed will of God? It's talking about the revealed will of God. We are asking according to this book right here. We are aligning our request with God's will. We are filtering everything we go to the Lord with through the scriptures. That's why I encourage you to pray the scriptures back to God. That way you know you're getting it right. Pray the scriptures back to your Father. Filter every prayer you have through the Bible. That's what it means to pray according to God's will. Those are the prayer requests he hears and he delights to answer. John puts it another way earlier in his epistle, 1 John 3, 21. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. Notice both those verses talk about confidence. You want to pray confidently? Let's continue to hear what John has to say. We have confidence before God in whatever we ask we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. His commandments, what pleases him? The revealed will of God. It's in your hands. At least I hope it is. The revealed will of God. We pray according to the revealed will of God. We must see that what we perceive as needs, friends, what we perceive as needs radically changes when we're in God's word. How many of you have had that experience? You think you need something. You're praying for God. God, give me this, give me this, give me this. You think you need it. And then you go to God's word and it cuts you to the heart and you realize, I don't need that. That's what it means to pray according to God's will. I can't explain it any simpler than that. The absolute sufficiency of this book to guide us, to help align our desires with God's. Psalm 37, 4 says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. I have heard that psalm, that verse, abused by health, wealth, and prosperity preachers to say, Yeah, as long as you delight yourself in the Lord, he'll give you whatever you want. So if you want a Mercedes, you got it. You want a big house? You got it. You want a jet? You got it. My friends, you know what happens when you actually understand this verse and you truly do delight yourself in the Lord? The desires of your heart are no longer Mercedes and houses and planes. The desires of your heart is God and his word. You want to know him more. You want to feel him more. You want to taste and see how good he is. And may health, wealth, and prosperity gospel be damned to hell. It is an abomination. It is an abomination. And it is leading 
thousands astray, especially in the continent of Africa, where there are people who are living day to day on the street corner hoping they get bread to make it to the next day. And some charlatan is showing up, reading to them Psalm 37.4 and leading them to hell. It's horrible. Filter your prayers through God's word. Saturate your prayers with God's word. God may not always answer your requests according to what you want, but he will answer them in the way that's best for you. Let me say that again. God will not always answer your requests the way you want, but if you're his child, he will always answer them in the way that is best for you because he works all things together for your good because he is your father in heaven. And you will, have, you will find peace, and you will find freedom, and you will find anxiety defeating freedom when we learn what Jesus is teaching us here in the Lord's Prayer. How many of us have needless anxiety because we haven't learned to pray, give us this day our daily bread and believe it. Finally, and this will be our conclusion, we pray to the Father to give us this day our daily bread. When we do that, we are resting in our Savior to meet our ultimate need. Friends, ultimately this request drives us to realize a few things. First of all, we don't depend on God like we should. I was cut to the heart this week as I prepared this message because I realized what a sinful fool I am. Over and over again, same sins, over and over again. Same mistakes, same lack of trust, same over and over again. And ultimately, this will, when we really think about this, we realize we don't depend on God like we should. We do practice foolish self-sufficiency and we do it a lot. We don't ask our Father And we don't ask in a manner aligned with his purposes and his desires. We're like the Israelites. Upon receiving the manna, they continue to desire other things than God. That's us. You see, our need for bread should drive us to a greater need. A need to be made whole. A need to be forgiven. A need to be restored. A need to be brought near to God. The manna was designed to feed the Israelites and meet their physical needs. But it was designed for even a greater purpose. It was designed to help them see their spiritual need. Deuteronomy 8.3 And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. God meets physical needs to drive us to trust not in the provision itself, but to trust in him, in his word. Oh, how we fail, friends. But God provides and provides and provides, but we keep on thinking that we had something to do with it. So as you've been struck this morning by this fourth petition, you probably felt like I did this past week, like another failure. A total failure. I'm so weak and so are you. And that weakness is designed to drive us to a deeper experience of grace. For Jesus, our Savior, he perfectly trusted the Father. He stood in our place to do what we can't do perfectly. He went out to the wilderness in our place, and for 40 days he fasted. And when that old tempter came up to him and laid before Jesus the same temptation that he had put before the Israelites and that he puts before us each and every day, Jesus didn't cave. He didn't stop trusting his Father. He thrust off Satan's temptations on our behalf by quoting that passage from Deuteronomy 8, and he continues to thwart Satan's will and Satan's ways on our behalf. And in doing so, he lived the life we couldn't live. And so that when we put our faith in him, 
His righteousness becomes our righteousness. And our death that we deserve for not trusting God, he took that upon himself on that Roman torturing device. What a glorious exchange. The wrath we deserved, he took. The perfect righteousness he lived, we were given. So now we live by faith as we continue to learn to trust in our Father more and more. And how do we fuel this faith? How do we fuel this life of faith? We continue to feast on Jesus, John 6, 32. And we'll conclude with this. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, sir, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. Believer, strive to put the fourth petition into practice more and more, but do so by putting your faith and trust in Christ. Ask him to do a work in you through his spirit. Don't do it in your own strength. Jesus, the man born in Bethlehem, which Bethlehem means house of bread. Jesus, the man born in Bethlehem, is your true bread to meet your deepest needs. Every morning, guys, you open this book and you should smell the aroma. Fresh bread. Fresh bread. I want you to think about that. When you get up tomorrow morning and you open this book. Think about, think about what we ate today and the taste we experienced today. Think about that smell of fresh bread. This is what you need. Man does not live by bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. And Jesus is that word. An unbeliever, I invite you to eat. Eat and drink of the one who gave his life to save foolish, self-reliant sinners like you. And the way you eat of it is to repent of your sins. Put all your hope in him alone. And he will transform your life to make you a person who desires him above all other things. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you and we thank you that you are our Father in heaven. No need is too small to, to bring to you. If we, if we can come and pray just for bread, then we can pray for little things. Father, I believe with all my heart we should pray when we lose our keys. We should pray for, for little things when, when our, our child stubs their toe. The things that we think is too, too little to bring to you. Father, we think it's too little to bring to you because we have too little of you of you. You are magnificently, gloriously, gigantically caring because you are our Father in heaven. So God, teach us to pray. Teach us to learn what it means to to ask for daily bread. Lord, forgive us of our self-sufficiency. Lord, I, I do pray that no one will hear this, prayer, this, this sermon today and then go out and start living like a hermit. It's not the purpose. Because, Father, we know our sinful tendencies. We can live like a hermit and still be self-sufficient. So, God, make us the people you want us to be. Make us like Jesus. Jesus, you perfectly obeyed the Father. And so we come to you and we ask for the strength through your spirit to be the people you want us to be. Help us to be day by day people 
who trust in every word that comes from God and trust for our daily bread to meet our physical needs. We pray all this in the precious name of Jesus, in his name alone, amen.